0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 242. It's titled, Should You Let Warren Buffett Manage Your Money? Last month, I got an email from listener Harry. He wrote, Why not just buy Berkshire Hathaway stock and let Warren Buffett manage your money? I admit, I had never really looked at or evaluated Berkshire Hathaway as a money manager. For 17 years, I worked as an institutional investment advisor. One of the things that I did is I evaluated investment managers. I would go on site. I would meet with them. When I first joined our company, we had what were known as the three Ps when evaluating a particular manager. We would look at their people, the process and their performance. Later, as I spent years analyzing managers, I put it more in terms of attributes with my investment firm continues to use. We look at conviction, consistency, pragmatism, investment culture, risk control, and active return. But really, those three P's are are a very good foundation. So in this episode, we're going to look at Berkshire Hathaway as an investment manager that we can hire by buying their stock. They have A shares, which are really expensive, $303,000 per share, or their B shares, which sell for $200 a share. So you could hire Berkshire Hathaway for $200 to manage your money. First, let's focus on people. When you are researching a money manager, you want to know who the team is selecting the securities. What's their experience? How do they work well together? What's their investment culture? You go to the 2018 Annual Report of Berkshire Hathaway, they list out their senior executives. Warren Buffett, he's 88 years old. He's the chairman and chief executive officer. Been there in that former role since 1970. Next is Charles T. Munger. He's 95, vice chairman. Since 1978, then there's two new roles that Buffett was really excited about. In his annual letter, he wrote, "Before moving on, I want to give you some good news—really good news—that is not reflected in our financial statements. It concerns the management changes we made in early 2018, when Ajit Jain was put in charge of all insurance activities, and Greg Abel was given authority over all other." Operations. These moves were overdue. Berkshire is now far better managed than when I alone was supervising operations. Ajit and Greg have rare talents, and Berkshire blood flows through their veins. They've had an adjustment in terms of their team with the addition, or at least the more formal roles, of Abel and Jane. When we met with and, and did conducted due diligence on investment managers that we ultimately would recommend to their clients, one of the, the sensitive issues was as the founding partners got older is what's the succession plan? How will the next generation come and continue the investment process? Buffett hasn't really outlined a a true succession plan when he or Munger retired. He wrote in the annual letter, for 54 years, Charlie and I have loved our jobs. Daily, we do what we find interesting, working with people we like and trust. And now our new management structure has made our lives even more enjoyable. With the whole ensemble, that is. With Ajit and Greg running operations, a great collection of businesses a Niagara of cash generation, a cadre of talented managers, and a rock-solid culture. Your company is in good shape for whatever the future brings. Throughout that letter, they talk about how Buffett and Munger evaluate companies, evaluate stocks to purchase. And what becomes pretty clear, if we're looking at Berkshire Hathaway as a money manager that Abel and Jane are responsible for the operation, the operating companies that Berkshire owns. But in terms of new acquisitions, particularly new stock acquisitions that we'll talk about in terms of the process, it's very much Buffett and Munger doing the analysis, which in terms of evaluating the money manager, that that, that level of concentration would cause some concern in terms of people the lack of succession plan and the fact that the senior team that is evaluating and making those investment decisions is, is well, they're stalled. They're very, very good at what they do. They've been doing it for a very long time, but at some point, they're not going to be there. And if you're hiring a money manager like Berkshire Hathaway, you want that team to be there and that process to continue. Let's take a look at Berkshire Hathaway's investment process. What we're trying to identify here is in terms of how a money manager is researching securities, do they have some type of informational edge, a competitive advantage that allows them to identify mispriced securities that are selling for less than their intrinsic value so that the manager can outperform a passive index fund. Are you paying, if you're hiring a money manager, you're paying a fee for them to, to make good security selections that can outperform the market. So we want to know how, what's their process? How do they go about doing that? In the 2018 annual letter, Buffett wrote, let me remind you of our prime goal in the development of your capital. That's one thing I like about Buffett, he recognizes he's a steward of his shareholders' capital. He talks about, here's what you own. Here's what we're doing in deploying your capital. So it goes on and says, the prime goal is to buy ably managed businesses in whole or part that possess favorable and durable economic characteristics. We also need to make these purchases at sensible prices. Sometimes we can buy control of companies that meet our test. Far more often we find the attributes we seek in publicly traded businesses in which we normally acquire a 5 to 10% interest. Sometimes they can buy the whole thing. They're buying businesses with favorable and durable economic characteristics and they buy them at sensible prices. Buffett points out in the, the annual letter that Berkshire Has morphed from a company that was primarily invested in marketable stocks to one that owns operating businesses, and he says he expects the company to continue that reshaping in an irregular manner because he's he's finding a challenge. The ability to purchase entire companies, he admits, the prices are too high, and so they're finding more opportunity in buying individual stocks. But he really likes to buy. Businesses. He wrote, even at our ages of 88 and 95, I'm the young one. That prospect of buying entire businesses is what causes my heart and Charlie's to beat faster. Just writing about the possibility of a huge purchase has caused my pulse rate to soar. Unfortunately, they've just not been able to to find that. They have a lot of money. The cash, there's over $100 billion in cash that Berkshire owns. Now, not all that, they can, some of it's working capital, but they have the ability to, to purchase huge stakes if they can find that. But he says the immediate prospects for that are not good. Prices are sky high for businesses possessing decent long-term prospects. That disappointing reality means that 2019 will likely see us again expanding our holdings of marketable equities. We continue, nevertheless, to hope for an elephant-sized acquisition. One of the challenges with, with Berkshire Hathaway in looking at them as a money manager is they have a lot of capital. They have billions of dollars they have to put to work, which means it's harder to find those opportunities. This is not a small-cap equity manager that's managing less than a billion dollars. This is a company with $700 billion in assets and $100 billion in cash trying to deploy it. They have to deploy it at scale, so it makes a difference, and they're having trouble finding those private businesses. So they're buying more marketable securities because they can put that capital to work. So how do they go about evaluating these companies? In the 2013 annual letter, Buffett wrote, when Charlie and I buy stocks, which we think of as small portions of businesses, our analysis is very similar to that which we use in buying entire businesses. We first have to decide whether we can sensibly estimate an earnings range for five years out or more. If the answer is yes, we will buy the stock or business if it sells at a reasonable price in relation to the bottom boundary of our estimate. If, however, we lack the ability to estimate future earnings, which is usually the case, we simply move on to other prospects. So Buffett and Munger are analyzing stocks, and they're coming up with earnings estimates and deciding if the current valuation is justified by those earnings. In fact, is it cheaper? Is the intrinsic value less expensive? than what would be indicated by their expectation, expectations of earnings. Very simple process. Hard to do, which is why they're extremely talented at it. But that's what they're doing. One of Berkshire Hathaway's competitive advantage is this two-prong approach to allocating capital. They can buy entire businesses, or they can evaluate stocks and buy 5 to 10% of a business. That's their process. When I was evaluating money managers, I would often ask to give me examples of investments that worked out, which they were gladly able to share. But more importantly, give, please provide some examples of mistakes that you made and what you learned from them. And there's a a very large mistake that Berkshire Hathaway has made in the last few years. It involves Kraft Heinz, a food and beverage company. In the 2013 letter, Buffett wrote, we've completed two large acquisitions, spending almost $18 billion to purchase all of Envy Energy and a major interest in H.J. Heinz. This purchase of H.J. Heinz was the largest acquisition Berkshire Hathaway had made since 2010 when they purchased Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroads. Buffett continued, both companies fit us well and will be prospering a century from now. With the Heinz purchase, moreover, we created a partnership template that may be used by Berkshire in future acquisitions of size. Here we teamed up with investors at 3G Capital, a firm led by my friend, Jorge Paulo Lemann. In this case, then, In order to, because of the need to to find these elephant-sized transactions, they partnered with a private equity firm to purchase a controlling stake in a company. Buffett points out that, that this Heinz acquisition was similar to private equity transaction, but there was a crucial difference, he wrote. Berkshire never intends to sell a share of the company. What we would like, rather, is to buy more, and that could happen. Then in 2015, H.J. Heinz merged with Kraft Foods to become the fifth largest food and beverage company. That was in 2015. Last week, Kraft Heinz stock shares fell 30%. After they announced a $15 billion write-down, they cut their dividend payment and disclosed that they were subject to a probe by the Security and Exchange Commission in regards to their accounting policies. Now that combined companies, Kraft Heinz is worth half of what it was worth when it started trading. Berkshire owns 26.7% of Kraft Heinz. They took a $3 billion impairment charge on their investment, and it was one of the largest quarterly losses in Berkshire's history. On CNBC, Buffett said, flat out, we overpaid for Kraft. And we were wrong in a couple ways on Kraft Heinz. He said, we both misjudged the retail versus brand fight as to who would be gaining ground on the other. He mentioned that, that Heinz had craft had hundreds of years plus of advertising that are built into people's habits And now they're seeing pressure from Costco's Kirkland brand. Buffett mentioned that Kirkland or Costco has 750 outlets, but their Kirkland brand does 50% more business than Kraft Heinz. But he admitted they, They overpaid. He said anything, almost anything at a price can be good, but everything at a certain price can be bad. If you pay too much, you pay too much. And that doesn't change. The business does not earn more because you pay more for it. So he admits they pay too much. And what are they going to do now? He says, we don't pull the plug. They're going to stay invested in Kraft Heinz. But this is important to recognize that, that Buffett and Munger, they're not infallible. They make mistakes. All investment managers, skilled investment managers, makes mistakes. And the best managers will admit when they have made a mistake. The question is, will they make better investments going forward to the ability to do that? And how well have they done in the past? What's their performance been? What is the proof that they are a successful investment manager? And before we look at that proof, let's pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Togovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at NetSuite.com slash David. That's NetSuite.com slash David. NetSuite.com slash David. Beginning of every annual report for Berkshire Hathaway, there's a table that shows the annual performance of Berkshire Hathaway's stock relative to the S&P 500. S&P is a measure of large company stocks. It's U.S. stocks. It's it's a good comparison. Buffett writes, just look at the 54-year history laid out on page two. Over time, Berkshire stock price will provide the best measure of business performance. And it's done incredible. The overall gain since 1964 is over 2.4 million percent, equates to 20.5 percent annualized return, compared to 9.7 percent for the S&P 500. So it's a double that, and if you could do, if that could continue, that'd be wonderful. But we have to look at performance during a period when Berkshire. Hathaway is much larger, has billions of dollars of capital that it needs to invest. And so I use that same table to calculate returns over 5, 10, 15, and 20 years. 20 years annualized, Berkshire's stock has returned 7.6% versus 5.6% for the annualized, for the S P 500 on an annualized basis. So not double, it's, it's done two percentage points better. On the 15-year period, it's returned 9% annualized versus 7.8% for the S&P 500. For the 10-year, it's underperformed. It returned 12.2% versus 13.1% for the S&P 500 index, but it's outperformed over the most recent five-year period, 11.4% versus 8.5% for the S&P 500. As an investor your option you can't really invest in the S&P 500 you would invest in something like the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index ETF VTI over that 10 year period that did 13.3% versus 13.1% for the S&P 500 and then again Berkshire did 12.2%. But that was through year end. Given this situation with Kraft Heinz and the write down and the, the that, Berkshire owns 26% of the company and it fell 30%. If we look at performance through last Friday, so February, actually through yesterday, I'm recording this on Tuesday, February 26th. So through Monday, February 25th, 2019, the 15-year annualized return for Berkshire stock is 8.1%. Versus the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund has returned 8.7. So it's, it's trailed over the past 15 years. Now, when we, if we do that calculation through year end, Berkshire's outperformed. And that, that's another evidence of, of how end period sensitive performance measurement is. And so you need to look at it over different time frames. But the reality is Berkshire's it's harder to outperform. They're a bigger company. And we see this with investment managers all the time. As they become successful, they attract more assets and it becomes more difficult to replicate that performance. So it it, it will be challenging going forward for Berkshire to outperform to the level that they did. Certainly not double what the S&P 500 index has done, but the fast fi- last five years, they've, they've Certainly they've outperformed it by three percentage points, and that's excellent. Would I invest with Berkshire Hathaway? If they were just if this was a money manager and I was meeting with them at their offices, kicking the tires, trying to understand the people, the process, the performance. I actually wouldn't. The big red flags would be the lack of a succession plan. That the senior investment professionals are 88 and 95. They're still in the trenches. They're the ones making the decisions, doing the analysis of purchasing individual stocks. They have other senior professionals that are running the operating businesses. But at least from the annual letters, it's not clear that there's somebody else making those decisions. The second red flag is there's just too much money under management that they have too much capital to deploy, and that will lead to lower performance in the future. Now, will it outperform? Hopefully. They've done incredibly well. But just objectively, looking at them as a money manager, I wouldn't hire them to do that, particularly if Buffett is not there anymore or Munger. I mean, at some point, they just won't be. Buffett says, well, what would he do? In 2013, he says, my money, I should add, is where my mouth is. What I advise here is essentially identical to certain instructions I've laid out in my will. My advice to the trustee could not be more simple. Put 10% of the cash in short-term government bonds and 90% in a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. I suggest Vanguard's. I believe that trust's long-term results from this policy will be superior to those attained by most investors, whether pension funds, institutions, or individuals who employ high-fee managers. So even Buffett didn't recommend his own stock upon his passing. He recommended an index fund, which is interesting because Buffett has said diversification is a protection against ignorance. It makes very little sense for those who know what they're doing. Buffett and Munger are in a class of their own. They're brilliant investors. Most of us are not. Buffett says the goal of the non-professional should not be to pick winners. Neither he nor his helpers can do that, but should rather be to own a cross-section of businesses that in aggregate are bound to do well. A low-cost S&P 500 index fund will achieve this goal. In closing, Buffett shared some other fundamentals of investing in his 2013 annual letter. He said you don't need to be an expert in order to achieve satisfactory investment returns. But if you aren't, you must recognize your limitations and follow a course certain to work reasonably well. Keep things simple and don't swing for the fences. When promised quick profits respond with a quick no. And that's why I, invest, I don't try to invest like Buffett. I invest in diversified ETFs. Sometimes I'll use active managers. If I believe they have an informational edge, I can continue to look at them. But the bulk of my assets are diversified index funds because I'm not an expert in estimating the earnings of individual companies and determining that they're selling for less than in their intrinsic value. He also points out the importance of, of fact, figuring out the earnings and what is the cash flow and basing our investment decision on those earnings estimates as opposed to focusing on just the price of the asset will go up for whatever reason. He wrote, if you instead focus on the prospective price change of a contemplated purchase, you are speculating. There's nothing improper about that. I know, however, that I am unable to speculate successfully. And I am skeptical of those who claim to sustain success at doing so. Half of all coin flippers will win their first toss. None of those winners has an expectation of profit if he continues to play the game. And the fact that a given asset has appreciated in the past is never a reason to buy it. So we should never buy anything just because we think it'll go up in price. And that, for, for certain assets, That's all we have. Cryptocurrency, gold, antiques, art. It's simply because there's no income, no effective way to estimate its future cash flow and earnings. Then that's what makes it a speculation. It's simply assuming somebody will pay more in, in the future. And it's not bad. It's just that should not be the bulk of our portfolio. Most of it should be investments that have earnings and cash flow. That then is episode 242. Should you have Warren Buffett manage your money? I'd say no, despite how good they have done. Or if you want $200, you could use the Robinhood app and buy a few shares of Berkshire B. Try it out, see how it goes. But not for the large percent of your portfolio. I wouldn't do that. Show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide and I'll email those links to you each week after I release the episode, along with an essay or other valuable content I provide just for insiders, guides, members, those that are on this free email list So sign up, please, at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. Simply general educational money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.